Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the second Sunday in Advent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, may no earthly undertaking hinder those who set out in haste to meet your Son. But may our learning of heavenly wisdom gain us admittance to his company, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Baruch. Jerusalem, take off your dress of sorrow and distress. Put on the beauty of the glory of God forever. Wrap the cloak of the integrity of God around you. Put the diadem of the glory of the eternal on your head. Since God means to show your splendor to every nation under heaven, since the name God gives you forever will be. Peace through integrity and honor through devotedness. Arise, Jerusalem, stand on the heights, and turn your eyes to the east. See your sons resembled from west and east. At the command of the Holy One, jubilant, that God has remembered them. Though they left you on foot, with enemies for an escort, now God brings them back to you, like royal princes carried back in glory. For God has decreed the flattening of each high mountain of the everlasting hills, the filling of the valleys to make the ground level so that Israel can walk in safety under the glory of God. And the forests and every fragrant tree will provide shade for Israel at the command of God. For God will guide Israel in joy by the light of his glory, with his mercy and integrity for escort. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. When the Lord delivered Zion from bondage, it seemed like a dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. On our lips there were songs. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. The heathens themselves said, What marvels the Lord worked for them! What marvels the Lord worked for us! Indeed, we were glad. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Deliver us, O Lord, from our bondage, as streams in dry land. Those who are sowing in tears will sing when they reap. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. They go out, they go out full of tears, carrying seed for the sowing. They come back, they come back full of song, carrying their sheaves. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Every time I pray for all of you, I pray with joy, remembering how you have helped to spread the good news from the day you first heard it right up to the present. I am quite certain that the one who began this good work in you will see that it is finished when the day of Christ Jesus comes. And God knows how much I miss you all, loving you as Christ Jesus loves you. 
My prayer is that your love for one another may increase more and more and never stop improving your knowledge and deepening your perception so that you can always recognize what is best. This will help you to become pure and blameless and prepare you for the day of Christ when you will reach the perfect goodness which Jesus Christ produces in us for the glory and praise of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. All people shall see the salvation of God. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. In the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the lands of Ituria and Trachonitis, Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the pontificate of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went through the whole Jordan district, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the sayings of the prophet Isaiah, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill be laid low. Winding ways will be straightened and rough roads made smooth. And all mankind shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're at the beginning of the third chapter of Luke's Gospel. And today we hear that it starts in a a rather curious way, listing all these different names. The leading political and religious figures of the year approximately 27-28 AD in Judea. Here's what we heard. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the lands of Ituria and Trachonitis, Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the pontificate of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, it's all very specific. And it almost seems like St. Luke wants to belt us over the head with some history. This isn't a legend, it's not a fable, it's not a myth. This isn't once upon a time. This is Judea, year 27. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, Caiaphas, Annas, they're all around. Now we know some of these names. The Emperor Tiberius was successor to Caesar Augustus. And Augustus was known for the establishment of the great Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Now, of course, peace in the Roman Empire was established by crushing opponents. And Tiberius, as the successor to Augustus, was no less a brutal dictator. At this time, Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. He was the Roman who ruled in the place of Caesar. We all know Pilate and the kind of man he was. The other figures, Herod, Antipas, Philip, Licinius... These were all sons of Herod the Great. We'll all hear about him in a week or two. Herod the Great was the king who massacred the little boys of Bethlehem in the hope that he would destroy the future king of Israel. 
Now, Herod Antipas and his brothers aren't much better than their dad, Herod. Herod Antipas is the one who will put John the Baptist to death after his daughter Salome delights him with a dance and asks for his head on a platter. These are the leading political characters, the ones with worldly power. Added into the mix, St. Luke makes mention of the shining lights of the Jewish religious scene, Caiaphas and Annas. Well, just what Jesus thinks of the religious establishment and the way in which worship is conducted in Jerusalem becomes much clearer when he fashions a whip out of cord and starts driving the moneylenders out of the temple. But certainly, it was becoming clear that the religious authorities had succumbed to corruption. The life of the temple was dominated by a few noble families who would vie for positions of power, just like Annas and Caiaphas. Luke presents us with the highest elements of political and religious power. The Caesars, the Herods, and the high priests of the time. And he notes that on none of these leaders does the word of God rest. No, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah. And he isn't in a palace or a senate or a temple. He's the one who's out in the wilderness. Now, when you think about it, this is a terrible indictment on the world. The political and religious spheres are way out of step with God. And it's John the Baptist who draws people away from the cities, away from the temple, and into the wilderness, into that place where so often the Israelites have encountered God. The word of God is upon John the Baptist, and he's calling people to the Jordan district to receive a baptism of repentance. Now, we need to do a little bit of mental gymnastics in order to try and understand what all those details must have meant for the Jews of Jesus' time. The River Jordan, that was the place of entry into the Promised Land. After Moses had died and given leadership of the Israelites to Joshua, Joshua was the one who led the twelve tribes through the river. Now, a little bit like what happened at the Red Sea, right? Where all the waters piled high and they walked through dry shod. Well, that happens at the Jordan as well. That as Joshua and all the people enter into the promised land, they go through the River Jordan. That's how Israel entered the land that God had given them. In a sense, the River Jordan was a bit like the gate to the promised land. And here's John the Baptist with the word of God resting on him, the greatest of the Israelite prophets, beckoning the people to come back to the gate of the promised land, to kind of go out and go back in again, to receive the baptism of repentance, a new start, a new beginning. Now for us, the word baptism carries a lot of connotations because of the sacrament of baptism, right? And indeed, what John is doing in the Jordan for the Jews is a kind of prefiguring of the sacrament of baptism. And that's how Christians enter into the promised land of eternal life and into the life of the church, right? But at its most basic level, the word baptism means immersion, going underwater. John is calling the Jews back to the entry point of the promised land, and he's saying Be immersed. 
If we were Jews of Jesus' time, what would have run through our heads? Immediately, there would have been connotations to the time when God saved his people from Pharaoh's chariots by parting the Red Sea. Immediately, there would have been connotations to the time when Israel passed through the Jordan River in order to enter into the Promised Land. These great turning points of Israel's history were marked by passing through water. And here's John the Baptist saying, Receive the baptism, the immersion of repentance. Because I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness, the one who is preparing us for the greatest moment of all, when God will act. John the Baptist is calling the people away from the cities and the temples, away from Tiberius, Herod, Pontius Pilate. He's calling them to turn their backs on the corruption of Caiaphas and Annas and to come to the point where it all began because the prophecies are coming to fulfillment. Make straight his paths. Let every valley be filled in and every mountain laid low because mankind is going to see the salvation of God. John's invitation to be baptised must have put a great sense of anticipation among the people because all the signs were pointing to the fact that God was about to do something incredible and that the prophecies of Isaiah, the prophecies of Brooke, which we heard in the first reading, starts looking like this is going to find their full meaning in whatever's going to happen. And so the hope of expectation is enormous. And the people come flocking to John the Baptist precisely so that might precisely so that they might be immersed in the Jordan, that they might go to the gate of Israel and prepare themselves to receive this new kingdom. But notice he asks something from them. John the Baptist tells them to repent. In Greek, St. Luke uses the word metanoia. Now, the root of that word metanoia literally means to change one's mind or understanding or perception, to change your mindset. Repent, says John, to change our present thinking, to go beyond our present perception of reality, to turn our backs on the logic of power and domination proclaimed by Tiberius, Herod and Pontius Pilate, to walk away from the corrupt worship of the temple, An external worship that doesn't include the heart of Caiaphas and Annas. John the Baptist's invitation is to leave behind the earthly kingdoms, to come to the gate of the kingdom of God, and with our minds turned toward God, to prepare the way for the Lord, to make his path straight, to fill in the valleys and bring down the mountains and make rough roads smooth. So how do we do that? Well, I'll give you some tips from Pope St. John Paul II. Here's what he said. We must straighten injustices. We must fill the valleys with goodness, mercy, respect and understanding. We must bring low pride, barriers and violence, and make smooth all that prevents people from leading a free and dignified life. What a great quote. So, our true preparation for Christmas must be 
to turn our minds away from the logic of Herod and Pilate, the logic of pride, power and violence. We must turn our minds away from the corrupt and empty worship of Caiaphas and Annas. And as John says, we must repent and look toward the advent of Jesus, who will teach us the way of love, the way of the kingdom of heaven. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.